We continue our study of the book of Zechariah. You might want to turn to Zechariah chapter 8. High resolution. And I mean by that like a New Year's resolution. High and lofty, powerful, important resolution. Not necessarily what you might get on a widescreen TV. Uh, High resolution. God has made some high resolutions and he literally calls us to live for him, to make high, uh, lofty goals to live for him as well. So we find the children of Israel, I think the, the best, healthiest way to think about this is that they're living lives that are you know, kind of like our lives. Uh, the more we can think that they're like us, the better off we're going to be as we study the book of Zechariah. Uh, they're, they're living a life where God has promised some very great things, but the reality of it is they're not experiencing those things right now. Um, and then the prophet comes forward and reiterates the promises, in fact, kind of raises them up to really high levels. And in fact, some of the promises are so high, it seems, you know, people look at it and say, that's just, that's too amazing, too marvelous. Remember, that was what we ran into last week, um, verse 6, remember, 8, 6, thus says the Lord of hosts, I love this verse, this is a highlight verse in the book of Zechariah, I asked the question, have we lost our marvels, right? We, we lost our ability to marvel at the power of God. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight? Declares the Lord of hosts. God's saying, my promises are amazing and wonderful. And people look at them and say, yeah, that's, that's, that's a fairy tale. God is going to save you and you're going to go to heaven and Jesus died for your sin, you know, come on, that, that is a fairy tale. How can you believe that? It's too marvelous. It's something Disney would have drawn a cartoon about. Uh, but nobody really believes that. So God's saying, well, goodness, the critics are saying it's too hard to do. Maybe, should I be saying that too? Should I say, oh, it's too marvelous. I, I can't actually accomplish, accomplish the promises that I've made can't actually accomplish the heaven I've promised to you? And of course the answer is no, no, no. It's not supposed to be too marvelous for God. God is all-powerful. One of the fantastic messages, uh, repetitive, even in the Old Testament, is nothing is what? Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with with God. We come to the God who, according to the Bible, a literal reading of it, spoke the world into existence. I mean, this is a God of... The Bible doesn't say half power, quarter power, you know, 0.3 power. All power. We can't even imagine that. No limitations. No limitations. No, he doesn't have a battery life indicator, you know, on, on himself where he needs to be recharged every once in a while. Um, this is his plan. He's rolling it out exactly as planned. And we could look at it and say, oh, it's chaotic. It's, it's crazy. Uh, and he says, no, trust me. 
I know what I'm doing. So we find that in this chapter where God has, he's coming to people who are discouraged. You know, they might, let's just pretend they might be saying, hey, is this year going to be just like last year and just like the year before? Or should we be hoping? Should we be trying something new? Should be we be recommitted, making high resolutions to live for God this year and make changes? Um, and he's pushing them, of course, in that, that direction. I want to pick it up at verse 14 and go through the end of the chapter. Where there's a little bit of overlap from last week, but as I always say, you probably should just overlap the whole thing constantly. In other words, I recommend reading the book of Zechariah. So here we'll put in, this is the word of God, we'll put in at verse 14 of chapter 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, as I purposed, I'm saying, let's say that word is resolved, as I resolved to do, as I purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, And I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts. So again, have I purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. Do you like that? Fear not. Don't panic. I've got this. I'm powerful. I'm the Lord of hosts. Now, honestly, these two verses are fabulous, uh, fantastic, and, and I think they, they, they should stretch all of our understandings of who God is. Uh, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I, as I purposed to bring disaster to you. See, a lot of people have sort of a hallmark card theology about God, and they would say that God would... They'll, they'll stand in a pulpit. They said God would never purpose evil. God would never plan to do, uh, bring a disaster in, into this world. Uh, no, because he, he's, he's good and kind and, and only loving, and therefore he wouldn't purpose to bring a disaster. And as I keep saying, well, let's allow God to define himself and, and not uh, bow to social pressure or what seems popular or what works on a daytime television show. This says it's God who ha- he purposed. Excuse me, I have to cough. I'll mute this a second. Thank you. Thanks for excusing me. I saw that excuse out there. Thank you. <laughs> As I purposed to bring disaster to you, when your fathers provoked me to wrath, the, the people of Israel provoked God to wrath. They, they didn't obey the covenant. They were in the Holy Land. They didn't obey him there. And for, I mean, for generation upon generation, the, Joshua came into the land around 1400 BC. And the northern part of Israel fell roughly 700 years later, 700 BC. I mean, that's a long time, right? God was amazingly patient with them uh, over all of that period of time. 
The book of uh, Romans chapter 2 says, look out, when we disobey God, we're storing up wrath for the day of judgment. We hoard it. We keep it in boxes for the day of God's judgment. You know, horrible, horrible idea. And, And the verse says, verse 14, and I did not relent. I didn't change my mind. I put you through disaster. I purposed it and I did it. Now, a secular historian would say, no, wait a minute. Babylon came into Jerusalem and they crushed Jerusalem. Babylon destroyed the temple. And they did it for their own political reasons. And this book says that God did it? Isn't that interesting, huh? God works his will through natural means. Uh, there's, there's always at least one cause of everything, and that's God. But often there's two causes, uh, God's purpose and through a natural means. And, and that's exactly what happens here. God's saying, that's what I did. And uh, yes, I used my servant, Babylon, to do this, says the Lord of hosts. Now, as I said, this is a fantastic verse. And I have like an hour and a half sermon here, and maybe I'm not going to get out of this one verse, and that's okay. <laughs> um, because I, I think it's really important to understand that this is a, a small example of the, the entire course of the world's history. Okay? Uh, that is to say that God blessed Adam and Eve and put them in a perfect place. He blessed Israel and put them in a the promised land wasn't perfect, but it was the promised land. But they, they rebelled against God. They didn't keep his word. Adam and Eve did not keep the word of God in the Garden of Eden. So God purposed to bring disaster. And he cursed the world. Uh, and we still live in a cursed world. We still live in a, a world where lots of horrible things happen. And it isn't because God's out of control. It's a part of his purpose. He is demonstrating his wrath. The Bible says that too. God's wrath is being revealed uh, in the book of Romans chapter 1. So so this is a a microcosm of the macrocosm of the entire flow of human history. God is the one who purposed to bring the curse in wrath upon mankind. And our verse that dear Bennett read said that we are all, what did it say? It's the children of wrath. All human beings born are under the wrath of God. That means he's angry and we are condemned. Jesus said the same thing. Anybody who doesn't believe in me is condemned already. Okay? And he, he's not going to relent, he says, says the Lord of hosts. But the beauty in this is the other side of the equation, that he decides to save. He moves in in the same sovereign power. He's the one who purposed the disaster, and he's the one that can remove it. And by the way, he's the only one who can remove it. Um, and he, he says, so again, verse 15, so again have I purposed. Now, this is, has a specific application to this point in history, uh, and I think also it points to another point in history uh, sometime in the future yet, 
Um, but I'm saying it also is an illustration of the greater plan of God's salvation. He purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. You know, your sins, my sins, deserve wrath. These, they deserve the wrath of God. I deserve to be tormented. The Bible actually teaches that hell is a place of consciousness and torment for eternity. No joke. Nothing to make light of here. And that's what I deserve, you know, for my sin. But Jesus takes that torment, uh, that wrath, for me. And therefore, fear not. Fear not. Verse 15. Let me continue reading. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. Verse 18. And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast, these are interesting, verse 19, uh, these are all extra-biblical religious rituals that the people of Israel had come up with. They're different fasts, and I think there's four of them here. And they all relate to the collapse. I, I said Babylon came and crushed Jerusalem. These are all like special dates in that process when Babylon did this horrible thing, this horrendous thing. Um, so let me read it in verse, uh, thus says the Lord of hosts, the, the fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth and the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth. By the way, we've already heard about two of these. We didn't know there were four of them. But again, each of those dates tagged to a specific thing about the collapse. You know, each horror is remembered, and there's a fast for it. it. Shall be for the house of Judah seasons of joy, gladness, and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. We're going to get to this. I'll go through it quickly in a minute, but this is so exciting because what it's saying is as each memory of horror and sadness we can possibly have, God will redeem all of that and will say, hallelujah, he saved me from that. He's taken the pain out of that memory by giving me salvation and and restoration. And so all of those memories of the pain, as I said This communion is a memory of the most horrible event ever, but for us, we enjoy it. We celebrate it because of all the good it accomplished. And God's saying, I'm going to make it so that you can look back and say, God redeemed all of that horrible stuff, and God had a plan and purpose in all of that horrible stuff. See, the, the true God of the Bible, the true teaching of this God is that there is no random, absurd event. That you can't just say this suffering is empty and absurd. It has no meaning whatsoever. That is not true. Trust the Word of God. 
He will redeem what seems utterly absurd to all of us. In other words, at some point in heaven, you're going to have that aha moment, you know, where somehow it makes sense that God in his love did this. And, and he redeemed it. And what was a feast memory of a horrible event, I mean a fast memory, right? Um, a, a, pla- a time when I suffered, I gave up food to remember how bad that was. It's going to become a, a, a point of celebration and joy. That's salvation right there. Verse 19. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Peoples shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. I think that is a part of the promise that is still yet to come. And I think that that points to a a kingdom on this earth where all people are literally flowing to Jerusalem, where Jesus is the king, and it's an amazing... This has never happened, see? And and, and notice it's Jew-oriented. You know, they'll take a robe of, the, of a Jew. It's, it's ethnic. It's uh, racially uh, motivated, charged in a good way. All right. Let me work through my outline in the next few minutes together. So I start with this idea of determination. God has resolved. And we're saved by his determination. He's the one who determined to bring wrath. He's the one who is determined to bring grace. And it's his sovereign, wonderful work. You and I are saved by it. We're saved because he is powerful. He's the Lord of hosts. And he's loving toward us. Uh, This comes to us in Jesus himself. Of course, he said it is finished on the cross of Christ. He said seven things while he was on the cross. And one of them, the the sixth one, was, it is finished. Um, There was a famous pastor in America named D. James Kennedy. Some of you heard of him, I presume. He had a public, he publicized an amazing evangelistic tool called Evangelism Explosion, EE. And have any of you taken that course? See, I was the other generation. I took that course. <laughs> but uh, he has in a part of that course when he's talking about what is it? What does this salvation mean? What does it mean? He comes to this word, it is finished, and he puts the Greek word uh, out in front of people, tetelestai. Um, in, in there is telos. You can see just, just telos is the Greek word for goal, the purpose. And, and this is a, in Greek it is a, let's see, I wrote it down, it's, it's perfect, passive, indicative, the verb. 
Now, what, that doesn't mean anything to you. Well, it, it's good, though, I'll tell you. There's <laughs> different kinds of, of uh, past tenses in Greek, and this is one that's called the perfect tense. And it, let's see, I have a little note on it here. It, it, it is an action, here it is, it refers to completed events with present consequences. Completed events with present consequences. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He completed the purpose of God to save us. And it has present consequences. It goes on and on and on. We're saved by faith in Christ alone. We we never say, I have faith in Christ and in my ability to obey him. Uh, We're saved by Christ alone. It's like in the English for example, say like, I have painted the room. I have painted the room. It's a perfect, I finished it. You can go in, it's painted, and even my wife would like it, you know? It's, it's, that's a rare, wonderful occasion. <laughs> She's hiding in the balcony. <laughs> um, you know, that's the idea here, to tell us that. It, you know, have faith in this. Jesus said, it's done. Fear not. Your sins are forgiven. It's the most fabulous thing ever. Um, One of my favorite passages is in John 17. Look at that with me real quick. Just a few words from John 17. This is John 17, verse 1. It says, "When, when Jesus had spoken these words... He lifted his eyes to heaven. By, by the way, there's very few physical demonstrations of prayer in the Bible, but one of them that is not mentioned is bowing your heads and closing your eyes. <laughs> That's like the norm now. Like, you can't pray unless you bow your head. <laughs> well, Jesus uh, prayed without that. Okay? <laughs> and the other one is lifting hands. The Bible says lift hands. Uh, anyway, never mind. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. The work is finished. He accomplished it. He gave eternal life to all those whom the Father had given him. He's he's not hoping that it works. It has worked. He has accomplished it. It is finished. It is done. And that's what Zechariah says to the people. God is going to bring salvation. He's promised salvation. It has, it has come, and it's yet to come as well. Trust him. Now, look, look what happens next here in, in, in our text. What is this like? I pointed out verse 19. Verse 19 says that he turns our, our mourning into to dancing. Where the thing that brought us the most pain, he's redeemed us from it, 
And so we can rejoice over it. We have victory over that thing. And he, like a crocus, you know, growing out of a snow bank. Uh, what are you doing here? You know, it's crazy. It's joy crying out in an unlikely place. He turns our mourning into dancing. So I ask you this. In this text, what impact is this to make on us? How are we supposed to be? Since he is resolved to save us, he promises the people of Israel, I'm going to save you. And in that we can see our own salvation. And we also see distant promises yet to be fulfilled uh, for them. In other words, they didn't get all these promises all at once. They had to live by faith. You know, so how do we live while we're waiting for the completed full promise of God to come? Well, he is resolved to save us. We ought to be people of high resolutions. And there's a lot of, here, of them in here. I focus it in on very three things. Therefore, look at that at the very end of uh, verse 19. He's, you know, verse 19 is, I'm turning your mourning into dancing. By that way, that was from Psalm... I forget number. <laughs> Some psalm. Um, mourning into dancing. Um, since I've turned your morning into dancing, look at that, seasons of joy, gladness, and cheerful feasts. No fasting, feasting now. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. Fantastic, beautiful. Uh, <laughs> we ought to be people of, uh, who love. Notice the passion, by the way. Notice the passion in this passage of Scripture. Up at the top, he said, uh, verse 17, for these things I hate, right? And now he says, I want you to love this, not to be semi-committed, but to be passionate about truth and peace. And, and the, the truth here, I think, is more than just theological truth. In this passage, it's clearly truth in our relationships, truth in how we talk to each other. Uh, our, our true relationships are based on truth and not fiction, not what we hope is true. Um, you know, the, the ever-present horrible example of, of marital infidelity is this idea that, you know, well, that person, uh, they really love me, and, you know, I need this, and they're meeting my needs, whereas my, my other relationship is difficult and perhaps boring or demanding, right? So therefore, I have this fantasy world where I think, well, this, this person, that, that woman loves me, and this is a fulfilling relationship, and it, but it, it's a relationship based not on truth. You're not married to that woman. You have no business there. You repent of that. You turn from that. Now, hate it. That's not love and peace. That's not truth and peace. You have a phony peace over there, right? This is talking about real peace. Interesting, uh, the Hebrew word, you know, for peace, most of you know it is shalom. If you go to Israel, you, a greeting is shalom alechem, which is peace to you, all plural, peace to you. Shalom alechem. The, the word shalom means wholeness. 
You know, some, a system that's working, that's where we need to be growing while we're waiting for the full completion of God's promises in peace and truth. And then kind of summing up these other verses, we should be people of joy, truth, and peace. Uh, these are our resolutions, our high resolutions. In other words, let's start this year thinking, yes, Lord. You know, Lord, I want to grow in my joy. You know, we're saved, and he wants us to turn the fasting into seasons of joy, gladness, and gossip. <laughs> no, 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 no. Seasons of joy, <laughs> Seasons of gladness and cheerful feasts. We ought to be people that are sort of, sort of nutty, optimistic. Like a little bit unhinged. Like how can you be optimistic? Well, Jesus saved me from eternal wrath, you know? Nothing bad. I mean, this flat tire is nothing. Even this horrible cancer is nothing compared to eternity and salvation. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Uh, we should be people that are really joyful. Um, and then we could say, Lord, please, make me a person of truth. And yes, it's biblical truth. I mean, I'm huge on biblical truth, right? But this is definitely truth in relationship. Uh, truth, truthful relationships where we grow and love and communication together. And then help me be a person of peace. I know, I know that uh, the holidays, you spend a lot of time with your family, and sometimes that doesn't always come out peaceful. Uh, sometimes it comes out uh, scary, and some things happen, some things are said, and sometimes maybe a brother, you know, lunges at another brother. Um, this happens, right? Am I alone here? <coughs> Excuse me, I didn't see that response. <laughs> Yeah, so it's okay. I mean, it's not okay, but we're all sinners and we're, we're likely to still sin. But we've got to yearn to grow. We've got to hate. You know, he says, we've got to hate these things. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. Love no false oath for all these things I hate, declares the Lord. I want you to be people who love, who love truth and peace. Now, the final part of this text, I think it's a, a vision of, of an actual literal earthly history where at some point in history, Jerusalem is going to be so amazing, uh, that pe- and they're going to be going there to see the Lord, the Lord of hosts, Jesus Christ, uh, there in the city. And it, Oh, that's too marvelous. Is it too marvelous for me? <laughs> the Lord of hosts says, no. And, you know, that's this last paragraph. Let me read it again quickly. Thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come. You know, you're discouraged. The temple's not built. You're living in this ramshackle, politically dangerous, uh, run-down neighborhood here. But, but, but just wait. You know, just wait. People shall yet come. Even the inhabitants of many cities, the inhabitants of one city, shall go to another saying, let us go at once. Notice the urgency. These are people who need God. They're going to say, I got to go. Will you come with me? Let's go together. I myself am going. 
Verse 22, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and entreat the favor of the Lord. They're going to seek his face. They want to know what grace Yahweh can give to them. All the world will be flowing to Jerusalem for this time. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, ten men, this is like, you know, round numbers. It's just a, uh, an illustration. In those days, ten men from the nations, the goyim, of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you. You've got the key. We have heard that God is with you. So let's think that that's a wonderful moment and it's a fantastic time. Um, but let's, let's apply that to us now. You know, shouldn't we be experiencing at least a little of this now? And the idea is we know we're saved by the determination of God. And we believe our past is forgiven so much so that what used to bring us sadness brings us joy because God overcame it. You know, hallelujah, I'm saved and forgiven. So we ought to be people of joy. We ought to be people of truth and peace. Now here's the question. Is that attractive? And God can use that to be attractive. Other people will say, hey, we want what you want. God will have to do the work of changing their hearts, but clearly he wants us to be a part of that. I was reading an old commentary here by a a pastor, uh, there's a great church, still a good church in, in Chicago called Moody Memorial Church. And uh, this is one of their pastors, Harry Ironside. And uh, in, in, this is his commentary. Uh, he's talking about what should our... What, yeah, that's the idea, actually. <laughs> what should our, our, our worship be like? What should our fellowship meetings be like? He says... It is ever thus when Christ himself is before the soul. The gatherings of the children of God become in very deed as foretastes of heaven when he is to his own the altogether lovely. There are no dry, listless meetings then, but every heart thrills with a joy not earthly as he fills the vision of the enraptured soul. If right with God, there would ever be this holy freshness and fervent longing for his presence. And that's what I'm saying. Let's make that 2018 for us. A That was, that was a good word. Let me read it again. <laughs> a, uh, a holy freshness and fervent longing for his presence. Then he points out this. When the people of God in any age are going on in happy fellowship with their Lord and Savior, the unsaved will be attracted to him and will be found seeking out his disciples saying, we would see Jesus. So I think Harry's right. That's a great way to think about the end of this passage. We should be people of joy, truth, and peace so much so that it's, it's communicable. 
like the flu that's going around. <laughs> but this is a good thing to catch. I want a little of that, whatever you have. So I think we should ignite the passion in people by being different, by being people of, of love and joy. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for this passage, which I've just barely scratched the surface of. Thank you for your holy word. It's so powerful. And Lord, please open our hearts and mind and remove the coverings, the scales on our eyes so that we'd see you and we'd trust you more. We'd hear the words, fear not, oh Lord God. Help us to hear that. And then help us to hear that you want us to love passionately truth and peace. May we be people of joy, truth, and peace. And Lord, in your kindness, make it attractive. Work in people's hearts, people we know, family members, the people we work with, our neighbors around us, uh, those we rub elbows with, Lord. We pray that they would see you in us and say, hey, I'd like to come with you. I'd like to find out about Jesus. Lord, we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand?